So I know some of you love Star Wars. I know some of you hate Star Wars. I know some of you couldn't care less about Star Wars. And yes, I know I'm really late to the game because I know this movie came out like three weeks ago, a couple days before Christmas. So if you love Star Wars, you're like, I've already seen it, hello. So I have three kids, most of you know this, and that means I'm always late to epic blockbuster movies. So here'd be the ask. In three months, when it comes out in Redbox and I actually see this movie, and then say, hey, have you seen Star Wars? I'm like, you should go see that one. Just give me a little grace, okay? Because that's probably what will happen. I'm sure I will enjoy it. All right, so this trailer, the reason we're starting here, this trailer uh, came out April. It was April 12th. And again, all you Star Wars lovers know because it like started bouncing around, of course, every social media platform in the world, millions of views, millions of comments, because people are going like, okay, so what insights, what's going to happen, right? It starts the buzz. So trailers and previews, they're teasers of what's to come. Trailers uh, drum up interest, they pique the imagination, and trailers are what I would love to call just simply a foretaste, right? They're a foretaste of the movie that is to come. And so as a spiritual family serve here, uh, we are going to re-engage our series that prior to Christmas we were in, which is the life and mission of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And so we have made it halfway through that Gospel, if you've been with us. We are going to be in chapter 9 today, so if you've got a Bible, you can pull that out. And uh, as you do that, uh, this morning I would argue that the story we engage in the life of Jesus is a sort of a trailer. Uh, it's a sort of a foretaste that Jesus offers a few of his disciples of what is going to come. And, and really the so what of, of the morning is God continues to give people foretastes of what is to come so that we might be encouraged in our spiritual journeys. Uh, 2020, I don't know how you're entering into this year and into this decade. Oftentimes, there's kind of a dip. You know, as we begin a new year, there can be some regrets, some hurts, some past stuff from the year that we go, man, it, it feels, hopefully, it's this starting over sort of thing. And my hope is that you'd be deeply encouraged this morning as we begin the year together. So Mark 9, if you're there, a uh, little backstory real quick is that Jesus just gave a real hard teaching. Uh, what's in the background of what we're about to read is he said, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And his followers did not like that. That sounded confusing. It sounded upsetting. Uh, and as they're confused and upset, he gathers this crowd and actually says, look, this is my path, but it's also your path. If you want to be a follower of me, you're called to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow. And so in the background of that challenge and amidst the confusion that they were experiencing, here's what we read in chapter 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. And led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And so he brings just three out of his twelve. All right? These were kind of his inner three, if you don't know the life of Jesus well. But he really invested a ton into those three. Uh, and he doesn't really give them any details. And he doesn't give any apology for only bringing three. And they go up this mountaintop. Uh, many of you know I love the outdoors. I was a Boy Scout growing up and love outdoor adventure. So hiking with Jesus, like, I'm in, right? So that, that's what's going on here. And so he brings them up high on this mountaintop, and he, he gets to the campsite, if you will. But there's no tent, there's no food, and there's no water. And I kind of wonder with these three, like, was there this moment where they're just like, uh, Jesus, what are we doing here, right? Like, what's about to happen? And so Jesus just turns to them, and the scriptures simply say that he was transfigured before them. And this is code for blinding light. 
Now, I get this a little bit in my house as well. Uh, in my house, we've got the young kids, and so sleep is a commodity, right? And so Chris and I, we, that's right, Tracy, you get it. And uh, we pull out all the stops, okay? So that means... There's sound machines, both in my room, where mine and Chris's, where Belle is with us, and then we've got the boys' room. So we've got sound machines going. There's a hallway in between where the bathroom is, and so we've got a box fan. We've got the fan blowing. Like, I don't want to wake up the kids when I go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And so there's a sound issue. Now we've got the light issue, right? So there's no courtesy lights in my home, okay? We don't have courtesy lights. Like, it better be pitch dark. We do not want to wake these kids up. And so every once in a while, I'll go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and I'll forget, like, turn on the light, and, you know, boom. Like, have you ever had that moment where there's that split second of absolute blindness because I turned on the light instead of going to the bathroom in the dark, okay? So I get this just a touch, maybe. Uh, I don't think it's what's compared to going on here, though. The scriptures simply say he's got dazzling white clothes, and the idea is that Jesus is actually illuminating himself in a kind of otherworldly, supernatural way. That he is revealing in this moment that he is not just a human, that he is also divine. He's doing something, you know, he's kind of turning on like a, a light bulb sort of moment, right? And then all of a sudden in this moment, these two dudes show up, okay? So we have four, now there's six. And in the mindset of the Jews of, of the first century, these were two epic figures from their past, Moses and Elijah. I like games. I like mixer games. Have you ever played those? Have you ever played, ask the question, hey, if you could have coffee with a famous person, who'd you sit down with, right? If you could have half a day with that famous person, who would it be for you? I like that question uh, because it kind of tells you, hey, who do you look up to, right? And, and so in the Jewish mindset, in the first century, Moses and Elijah would have made the list, okay? People that would have been on their top five, like I'm hanging out with Moses, I'm hanging out with Elijah. And so Peter, James, and John on this mountainside with Jesus would have known who they were and known that they were dead or that they left this earth a long time ago. And all of a sudden they're hanging out talking with Jesus. And so at this point, they might be thinking they're out of their mind. They might be thinking they're on a mountaintop in the middle of the Colorado Rockies with a certain substance kind of percolating around. Maybe that's what is going through their mind. They are probably bothered at this point. And in verse five, Peter says, said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. I love Peter. Okay. Do you, when you get nervous, do you babble or do you kind of close up a bit? So I'm a babbler. Like Chris is going to close up. She just, she'll get a little bit, just kind of quiet down. Like I'm really nervous. I, I, I talk through it. Like if it's awkward, let me just at least talk through it. So I know from personal experience that Peter has no idea what he's saying. He is just filling the silence here, right? And so because Jesus has freaked them out, right? He has illuminated himself. Moses and Elijah are here. And then if that's not enough, the scene culminates this way in verse seven. It says, then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And so this is one of the few times in the life and mission of Jesus where the audible voice of the Father is given. Uh, if you remember in Mark's gospel, it's way back to chapter one. It's the opening scene of Jesus's public ministry is that the father spoke over him at his baptism that began his public ministry. And so in this moment, the father's voice speaks, quakes, shakes, proclaims, there's no drugs in the air. Okay. No drugs. God is at work powerfully. And he says that Jesus, who's just blinded you is my beloved son. And he gives a command that flows rightly out of that. If this is really who Jesus is, listen to him. And so the voice trails off and then there's just four, right? Moses and Elijah are gone. 
and they're left to ponder what in the world just happened. And so the story closes by saying this in verse nine, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And as you might start to kind of get from these hints, they don't really get it. <laughs> like they have this amazing experience and they don't really know what to do with it. Uh, Jesus specifically tells them, hold on to this story. Like, like don't, don't tell it yet. Hold on to this story. There's gonna be another time to tell it. It's after I've risen from the grave. It's gonna make a ton more sense at that point. Hold on to it. But they're tripped up on the rising from the dead, which is exactly what Jesus had previously taught them. He said, well, I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna die, and then I'm gonna rise again. And they're still not getting it. And so I just wanna ask, what's going on here? Like, what does this mean for the life of an apprentice of Jesus? What does this mean for those who might be searching and saying, I'm not sure about God and faith and Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm digging that out and I'm seeking that. But what would this story have to say to us? What would it have to say for those who are saying, man, I'm committed to following Jesus and even teaching others to follow Jesus, to become a disciple maker in his words, in his ways and in his works. What does this mean for us? And again, I keep circling back to foretaste. I believe this story is a foretaste of Jesus's future glory. Like he gives them a glimpse of what is to come long in the future. He gives them this, this picture, this actual reality of this is me in my heavenly glory. I'm gonna give you a snippet of it, a foretaste of it now. And no one understood. Right? No one understood Jesus' teaching that he'd be a suffering servant. And so what does he do? He takes these three and tries to invite them into this experience that would confirm it rather than trying to argue more things with them. He gives them this one-time experience, never repeated again, only to those three in hopes that they would be affirmed in their faith. And it blew them away and they really didn't get it. So here's what I think it can do for us though. All right, because we can't repeat the transfiguration. It's not gonna happen again that way. Uh, but I do think there's a pattern. I think there's a pattern that God actually does choose to repeat quite often. And, and so uh, I wanna throw that up on the board here. We're gonna kind of dive into this. In our disciple-making language here at Serve, we'll commonly use this language of breadcrumb. Okay, so breadcrumb or foretaste. So God gives us these breadcrumbs or foretaste of his glory. And these are moments that God breaks in and he does what only God can do. And so in this story, he gives three of them, right? The big ones are Jesus transfigured. He sends these past people, Moses and Elijah, right? These are huge things. And the third one is the voice of the father. And these three breadcrumbs are again, these experiences that nobody can coerce. Nobody can say, God, like, like if I do this, you'll do this. It's not a bargaining chip. It's none of those things. Like God chose to do these acts, to give these breadcrumbs. And so what we do with breadcrumbs in our lives, we just receive them. Like we eat them up, right? We worship, we are in awe. We walk away with joy and wonder. Many times we don't get it, just like Peter, James, and John didn't get it, but that's what we do with them. We can't coerce them, we just receive them. And so the first part of the pattern is that God will regularly give people breadcrumbs and foretastes of what is to come. Now out of that, the second part of the pattern is a pillar of faith, okay? Pillar of faith. And these are moments and experiences 
that, again, flow out of what God does, right? So he gives his glory, he shows up in a powerful way, and what they can lead to, they don't have to, but they can lead to a pillar of faith being built in you. So God builds it in you, but we get to play a role in that, right? We get to name when, something, when God does something, are we gonna let it matter? Like, are we gonna align? Because it matters anyways, because God is God and God gets to do whatever he wants. But we also have the opportunity to say, yeah, like I align with what you're doing, God, and that's gonna build something in me. And these uh, pillars of faith can be very mundane. They can be very simple and they can be mountaintop experiences just like the transfiguration. Uh, so, so some of mine, here's a mundane one from my life is that at a very early age, as long back as I can remember, back into my elementary school years, for whatever reason, every time I heard a teaching from the Bible or, or words from the Bible, I just always believed, man, I think there's some divine wisdom here. <laughs> like something is going on in the wisdom of these words of the scriptures that blow me away. And as long back as I can remember, I just kind of had that sort of openness. And I would say that's like this little pillar of faith, this little breadcrumb in me that God was drawing me closer to him. I recognize that's not everyone's experience at all, but it's very mundane to just go, wow, like I think something more is here. Now, God has also given me many mountaintop moments as well, but I wanna articulate the mundane ones, okay? So the pattern, we've got breadcrumb and foretaste. We've got pillars of faith that can be built in us. And what those should lead to is forming us as a people who listen and obey. Like if we take these in, they begin to form us as a people that say, man, God is actually speaking. He's actually at work. And I'm gonna listen to what he has to say. And I'm gonna bring my yes. I'm gonna surrender to what he's up to and I'm going to obey. And in the story of the transfiguration, the voice of the father makes this really clear, right? So, so all these things are happening and he speaks, this is my son whom I love, listen to it, right? He invites us, it's even named in that moment. And I would just say, this is simply the mark of, of one of the key marks of a disciple. Is relationship with Jesus where you listen, say yes. you listen and you obey. It's the mark of a disciple maker who is saying yes to what Jesus wants to do in our lives. Uh, Jesus on the, on the night before when he was crucified, he actually gathered his disciples and known as that Passover meal. And one of the things he taught them there was he said this, he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And what Jesus is doing is he's sharing with us the love language back to God. Right? Think of all the ways that God pours out love to us, forgiveness and kindness and grace and provision and sovereignty. I mean, there's just so many ways that God is pouring out his love into people's lives. And yet Jesus does not say, hey, uh, here's how you love God back. You need to forgive him. Like what? <laughs> that wouldn't make any sense. Oh, uh, hey, followers, you need to uh, give God more grace and mercy back. Like, no, God's not in need of that, right? The way our love language back is to love him through obedience say yes to him because we can't love God in all the ways that he loves us except for this way of saying yes to who he is and what he's about. And so that's this listening and obeying reality. So that's the pattern for us, right? So he, God gives these breadcrumbs. He wants to build pillars of faith in us and it should lead us to become a people who are listening and obeying. And so what I wanna ask us is simply, can you remember one of the breadcrumbs that God has given you along your journey? Like, can you remember that? Can you name that right now? I think it's a crucial consider, uh, question to consider, to ponder, to remember. Because again, if these breadcrumbs are gonna build pillars and faith in us, it's really key that we would be reminded these, of these deep marker moments in our souls, in our lives of God's faithfulness. And so what breadcrumb has God given you? 
And have you built a pillar of faith from it? So as you think through that, I'm gonna invite one of our friends up, John Navarre. He's gonna share a breadcrumb story and, and how that's built a, a pillar of faith in him. So John, come on up here. Let's give him a little encouragement as he makes his way forward. And he's a, a little under the weather. So, you know, he, he's, he's keeping it together, baby. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll cover for you. Just okay. There you go. I've had the flu the last few days and um, it's, I'm actually going on day number 11 <clears throat> and I'm better but I'm not completely better <laughs> so someone should sanitize this gotcha <laughs> okay we'll just throw it away okay um, my name's John Navarre I am uh, uh, I've lived in Kansas City for quite a while I am a former pastor I pastored for about uh, 13 years I pastored in Midtown Kansas City back in the uh, 80s and 90s and then I was the chaplain at Children's Mercy for 18 years and I took care of uh, kids well I mostly took care of parents um, and siblings of kids who had were they were fine one day and then the family's worst nightmare the next day and I did that for quite a while and then that got to be too much and I stayed home with my five teenagers uh, <laughs> and uh, as my wife continued to work, she also is a, she was a nurse. Um, well, she is a nurse, but she retired from 35 years at Children's Mercy and 45 years as a nurse Friday. My wife is a very active person. And so at 3.30 this morning, she went off to Guatemala with nursing students because she's now got another job as an adjunct faculty at KU because she can't sit still. And um, I'd, I'd, it'd be great if you guys could pray for her. She'll be gone for a couple weeks. Um, and uh, uh, as she takes care of those uh, six 20-year-olds uh, as they go to Guatemala, some of them for the first time out of the country, and learn how to nurse in a public community health setting. Um, okay, breadcrumbs. Uh, I have five kids. They are... Um, they were all born in six years, five kids in six years. They go from 36 to uh, 31. And um, they, uh, a couple of them go to church, and, uh, but most of them don't. Uh, it, uh, although their dad is, a, they're typical preacher's kids. And they're very um, smart and plugged into the community. And uh, some are a little wild, like their dad was when I was a kid, you know, growing up at the end of the 60s, the beginning of the 70s. I was a pretty wild child. And uh, although raised Catholic, not um, a churchgoer, or I'd, my faith was there in some form or another, but it wasn't deep. And so um, that came later, when I was in my 20s, my middle to later 20s. And I, um, have, I was always part of a big bohemian um, very active, very exciting group of people in New York and Boston and other places. And um, when I got saved, Jesus very clearly told me, this tribe of Bohemian people is yours. You can relate to them, and you are never to leave them. You have to stay part of this community. So when we moved here, my wife and I became part of the art community in Kansas City. You know, we have First Fridays, and there's 10,000 people there. When it started, there were 50 to 100 of us in our babies. 
Um, and that was years ago. And then it became a couple hundred, and then it became maybe a thousand, and then it, you know, it was three galleries, and then it was ten galleries, and now it's a hundred galleries. Um, and uh, having kids raised in that time, my oldest son, I have five, four daughters and a son, my oldest son, also John Navarre, um, and I were 30 years apart, and we span that whole group of bohemian people that are here in Kansas City. He's a bartender and a cook, and um, you know, when I grew up, I was a bartender and a bouncer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Usually just takes more than anything else, a big mouth. And, um, and I worked in, you know, restaurants and a lot of friends who are artists and I'm not an artist and uh, musicians and all those people you see at night that entertain you and, um, you admire and you see their stories in the newspaper and I've always been part of that group here in Kansas City and my son has also and it's interesting because Kansas City is an interesting place in that you know we're not like New York where all the writers go to one place and all the sculptors go to one place and all the painters go to one place and all the musicians are one place and you know maybe the folk musicians are here and the classical musicians are here in Kansas City there are not as many of us and we all hang out together. Old people, young people, it's one big intergenerational tribe of people. And uh, my son and I are part of that tribe, and um, the, uh, uh, and it's been a fun thing that we've been able to share, but he is not a churchgoer. And uh, several of my other kids aren't either, and um, although they were raised in the church and baptized when they were young, you know, their bed breadcrumbs of faith in the sense that, you know, you have kids who desire the best for them, and then you want them to love Jesus and Jesus to love them and to be joined together in a way that you know that you're one big family, not just family, but big family of God. And it doesn't always work out that way for you or for them. And um, it's, a, it's one of those things where, you know, pillar of faith. I have faith that Jesus loves them and that they and that in some way they will find their way to Jesus and be quote unquote saved. But not now. And uh, they're getting old and it may happen after I'm dead and gone. But um so <laughs> that's one thing. Uh um uh, but I love them, and they love me, and um, they love who I am, and um, they brag about that. And uh, so the other night, my son called me at 1.30 in the morning. He is usually working at 1.30 in the morning. Not only did he call me at 1.30 in the morning, he called me in tears. That we are not boys that spend our time necessarily calling other people in tears. He, like his dad, people call us in tears to talk to us. Like, whoa, what's going on here? And one of our friends died. A guy who we were both friends with, both very close to. You know, he, I'm 65, my son's 35, this guy's 47. He's exactly right in between our ages. And we were all, we were very close friends with one another and had relationships independent of one another. And, uh, you know, he's a big, <laughs> a big guy that, uh, 
took care of automobiles and his cousin's car broke down on the highway and he went out with his truck and put out the flares and everything. And then, um, I promised I wouldn't swear here. <laughs> and uh, he was helping his cousin with the trailer and the truck. Texting and driving and hit the trailer and killed my buddy Aerie right off. Right off. This phone, if it's in your car, it belongs in the back seat. You know, I had to take care of my grandbaby. I take this phone, I put the baby in the car seat, and I stick the phone under his butt. <laughs> and because I'm tempted to take it out, we all do it. And um, it's just not good. You can't pay attention and drive. You can't do it. And especially if you're 65, you can't be paying attention and driving at the same time. My kids don't even let me drive my car. Take the keys, drive for me. But um, in, it's a pretty sad thing. And then there's another layer of this is that Ari, Ari big, huge, flowing mustache is a Turk. He's called Ari the Turk. Some people just know him as the Turk. Wonderful, full of life to pick you up off your feet when he gives you a hug. And to, I remember one time I was in uh, a bar, Grinders, you've probably been there. Stretch is the owner, young Jewish guy. And Ari and Stretch and I were standing at the bar having a beer. And I said, hey, look, we're the proverbial joke. <laughs> and Ari started laughing. And some of you got it right off, right? Ari started laughing. And Stretch, of course, went right over his head. He didn't know what was going on. Harry's <laughs> like, Stretch, you're a Jew. I'm a Muslim. He's a Christian. Don't you get it? <laughs> so, I mean, when people love you, things like that fall aside. And then, you know, you have your theology. I'm a theologian, actually. And, you know, my Calvinist theology does not give always a lot of room to people who aren't Christian when it comes to um, heaven and hell. And I, I just don't know what to think in terms of, you know, am I going to get to see Ari again? I want to say yes. I mean, and then breadcrumbs. So I'm just going to jump to breadcrumbs. <laughs> the nice thing about being a theologian, that was a philosophy major before that. You know, there's not a lot of answers to a lot of these questions. Um, but, uh, okay, so the breadcrumbs I'm following today are the breadcrumbs of love. Jesus left me with my people because he wanted me to love them. So they would know they were loved. And, um, he gave me my kids so I would love them. And you know those little glimpses and foretastes of heaven are when you hold your brand new baby, right? And when you're hugging your wife and when you're with mom and dad, and those are the breadcrumbs I've been following this week, those breadcrumbs of love. I, you know, I loved Ari. There wasn't a time we didn't see each other that we didn't hug, and he didn't, I mean, he's a big guy, I'm a tiny guy, and big guys always like to do the same thing to tiny guys. And they lift you right up off your feet. You watch it in baseball, if you watch Jose Altuve play, every player who grabs him lifts him off his feet. 
because he and I are the same size. And to, you know, that love is just irreplaceable. And it is a foretaste of how much Jesus loves us. Just a foretaste of that. And to, I don't know, if we're pillars of faith, we're pillars of faith because of the way we love. Not because of the way we, what we know or what we believe or what courses we've passed. It's just that love, that love. Thanks, John. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's great when, you know, there's a lot of tension, a lot of messiness of life. And so that's real, that's fair to, to help us ponder those moments when we don't have the answers. Uh, a couple more. I mean, it's just one that really comes up to me. I, I've been doing lots of thinking, praying, reflecting on 2019. And, uh, you know, I can't help but keep going back to our Easter service. Many of you were there. Um, and there were numerous pillars of faith that were built for me and I hope for our people as well. Uh, you know, I still remember Tracy standing before us and, and, and proclaiming a desire to surrender her life to Christ. And uh, what was so beautiful about it, many different layers, and she had many reasons for wanting to enter into baptism, but one of those was seeing the ways in which her husband was blowing up in his faith. Uh, he had been baptized a couple months before that in, our, in my basement, um, and he was growing in our disciple-making huddles, and just some of what God was doing in his life was really powerful to her. Uh, even maybe more foremost that she shared with us all that day was all that God was doing in and around her daughter, Piper, who at that time, we did not have all the answers. There were those medical challenges. They were one of, you know, feeling like they were in the midst of a nightmare. Um, and yet God was bringing people around them and loving them. And as much as they could have just as easily said, I, I'm done with God, I'm angry at God, I'm all those things. Instead, she and Shane and others are beginning to lean into deeper faith. And so she proclaimed that. And so it was just this beautiful moment of when the answer are not there, her saying yes to God and yes uh, to diving more deeply. Uh, a pillar of faith, the second one for me that day was seeing Larry Merrick, and many of you again know him, is traveling with us in our spiritual family to say, I'm going to get baptized today too at a spontaneous call. And, and it was a pillar of faith for all kinds of reasons. One, uh, because of just God doing something we did not plan for, if you will. Uh, and for me at 2 a.m. when the Lord was nudging me, speaking to me, saying, there's somebody else who needs to get baptized today. And it was not an audible voice. It was the promptings of the Spirit. It was in my mind, God waking me up at two and taking 10 to 15 minutes to pray and just, you need to ask if others have some business to do before me, right? It was just a simple thing that was so powerful and challenging, and yet God responded. A third one was built that night when Patrick Johnson gives me a call and says, my wife would like to get baptized. Uh, can I do that in, in our bathtub? And it's like, of course you can do that. Uh, can I come? Uh, and so our family piled in as we were playing in the garden, we piled in the van and, and went down the street to their home to see Jennifer baptized. Those were all mountaintop experiences of God's activity. These pillars of faith that are built deep in me. And yet, you know, what's funny is they're all really built upon another pillar of faith that was really very mundane. And it was the summer of 2015 when I went home to Southern California, my parents' home, and my brother had just had their daughter for the first time just three or four days before that. And so I'm visiting them and we're in this season, Chris and I going, God, like, where are you sending us? We have no idea where we're supposed to start a new church. And as I'm in my parents' music room on my knees praying and say, send me to sunny San Diego. I would love to reach the surfers and you know, all those people. I lived there for four years, so there's a backstory, but I love that city, send me there, God simply says, go to Prairie Village, a place in Kansas City that I had no idea of where it actually even was in Kansas City. And we love 
our city. Like we love Prairie Village. We love being in Kansas City so much. And so God, everything that happens in this spiritual family, it keeps building upon this pillar that was years and years and years ago. And so I deeply believe that God wants to give you and us these breadcrumbs of his glory so that pillars of faith can be built in us. So a few last words to consider, all right? For those who might be here and saying, man, I'm unsure about God. I'm unsure about faith, Jesus, church, the whole deal. Uh, what I would want you to hear, hopefully loudly and clearing as you seek out answers to life's greatest questions, I wanna encourage you to know that God actually wants to give you bread coins. Like I believe that. I believe in a God who wants to reveal himself. And I believe that as best I understand the gospel, one of the things that is happening that Jesus opens up for us is that when we place our faith and our trust in him, that the very audible voice of the father that he spoke that day to Jesus, this is my son whom I love. It's the same voice that the father wants to speak over us. But that's actually what Jesus is opening up. I love John's stories of just family because there is a heavenly father who wants all of us to come back into his family, have close and intimate relationship with him. And that is what Jesus opens up. This is why he went to the cross to die and to forgive our sins and, and to close that gap from the ways that we ran away from our heavenly father. This is a sure and rooted identity that you are, are God's beloved son. You are God's beloved daughter. He wants to speak that over your life so that we can say, Shane, this is my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased with. Whitney, this is my daughter whom I love, whom I'm well pleased with. That is what Jesus is opening up. And so I wanna encourage you as a response step this morning. If you're in that place of searching and seeking, I want you to pray each day this week. Pray this prayer. God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you step into that? There's a heavenly father who's longing for you. Uh, some of us might be in relationship with Jesus, been walking with him for a while, but maybe we find ourselves in a place of hurt, right? We're lonely, there's some challenges, there's life circumstances, relational conflict, whatever it is. We just find ourselves engaging the beginning of this year in a place where it's hard. Uh, what I wanna encourage you, the step is remember the pillars of faith that God has birthed in you. Like take the time, not just some ambiguous thing, but today. I wanna encourage you to name one of those pillars because they are crucial. They help root us and strengthen us when life is sideways, which it very commonly is. The story of the transfiguration is in three of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And here's the funny part about it. Everyone who wrote it down, they weren't the ones on the mountainside. They weren't there. <laughs> so what's fascinating is that Peter, James, and John may not have got it in the moment, but they got the story out. Like when Jesus rose from the dead, they told this story and it became this pillar of faith in them that continues to encourage others as well. So if you're here hurting and struggling, whatever it is, as we step into our, our response time of worship, I wanna encourage you to take potentially two steps. One, uh, that station right over there on that side of the room, there's a simple card, it's really simple. It just says, what is God saying to you? And what are you doing about it? Real simple. What I'd love for you to consider doing is picking up one of those pens, going over to that station and name the pillar write it out. There's power in saying, this is what God, I remember that time when I felt God close to me, like whatever that looks like, name the pillar. And a second potential step is to come over and hang out on the other side of the room uh, for, with some people who will pray for you. And maybe you share that pillar with them. Maybe you don't, maybe it's just, here's what I'd love prayer for, but it, it don't miss that opportunity to be prayed for if you're in a place of just challenge and share that, release some of that burden. That's some of the spiritual family, this in connection that we are wired for. It's worth being prayed for. And finally, 
for those who, who may be hungry, who, those who are growing with God, who would say, man, I'm in a good place. Like my faith is thriving and, and I'm walking with God and it's great. We can name that. At times we're in a really good, healthy, thriving place with God. I wanna simply remind you that oftentimes God will show up in the mountaintop way like he did the inner three, but most of the time it's, it's not that simple. Most of the time, God speaks through the still small whisper. That's what God tends to do. Uh, and I'm reminded of those two who are with Jesus on the mountaintop that night, uh, Moses and Elijah who appeared, because those two got some of the most mountaintop experiences in the, uh, all of the Bible. Moses watched the Lord part the Red Sea. He, he spoke the 10 commandments to Moses. I mean, uh, Moses had these amazing mountaintop experiences. Elijah saw God pour out fire from heaven to consume this, uh, this sacrifice on the altar uh, in this really epic standoff. You can check out 1 Corinthians 18, or 1 Kings 18 another time. God unleashes fire. But do you know the next scene of Elijah's life? He's running for his life. Those people who were opposing God were gonna kill him. <laughs> and he ran away and he was exhausted and he was at the point where he's basically like, God, take my life, like I'm done. I don't care about any of this. And in that low place, God reached him as well, takes him on this new journey, goes out to this mountainside and God brings the wind, doesn't speak. God brings an earthquake, doesn't speak after that. God gives fire again, doesn't speak to that. And then it says that God spoke to him in a still small voice. Like that is the most common way that God will speak. And so if you are thriving in a relationship, I would just want to encourage you, release the ex expectation of what those breadcrumbs look like and keep showing up, keep sitting with him, keep hearing his word, keep in, investing into your walk with him, serve as a whole family. God wants to give us breadcrumbs. He wants to build pillars of faith in us. And he wants us to be a people who listen and obey. Would you pray with me as we engage worship? Thanks for checking in to the Serve Community Church podcast. If you're interested in more information on how to connect with our community, feel led to support us in any way you can or have any further questions, check us out online on social medias like Facebook or Instagram or at our website at servecc.org.